This week at Macy's, get great deals on fashion and home essentials. Update your wardrobe with 20% off new spring shoes and sneakers and 20 to 50% off fresh looks for him and her. Plus, transform your space with Lux Hotel Collection Bedding, now 40% off. And Macy's Star Rewards members can earn on every purchase except gift cards, services, and fees. More at Macy's.com slash Star Rewards. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply. Episode 16.2, Kings of the Podcast, Dennis Bernstein. Welcome back. You and your decimals, John. Oh, uh, this is back to back to back. Pat Riley would be proud. It's the gift-giving season, John, and that's what we're doing for you fans. We're giving you so many gifts, Christmas and Hanukkah week. I'm sure you're overwhelmed at this point like I am. <laughs> DB, hang in there. Have a Red Bull. No, I, Let's go. Too. Let's go. Let's go, all right? We have another fan, uh, fantastic episode lined up for today. Yeah. Uh, joining us in the second period is going to be Roman Vopot. Now, for those of you that are Kings fans from sort of the Cup era forward, the name might not ring a bell to you, but he is a very important figure in LA Kings history mm-hmm. because the LA Kings, once upon a time, had a guy named Wayne Gretzky, number 99, who played in Los <laughs> Angeles. And when his... Uh, time in L.A. came to an end, and I'm going to tell the backstory here in just a moment, D.B., but when it yeah. came to an end, he was traded to St. Louis. He played a handful of games with the Blues before going on to finish his career with the Rangers. However, coming the other way, back to Los Angeles, in that deal for Wayne Gretzky was Roman Vopat, who was the top prospect in the St. Louis Blues organization. So it was Roman Vopat and uh, two other players and two draft picks. He was the key figure. It didn't ultimately work out right. uh, in Los Angeles for him, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to him a little bit about that. But Roman Vopat was a really big deal. He was the hope that the L.A. Kings mm-hmm. were holding on to when they traded away Wayne Gretzky. Right. Exactly. That was a significant rebuild. I mean, you talk about a rebuild because the Gretzky trade was the first domino. And after that, basically anybody and everybody who was a big name in Los Angeles was ushered out over the next, you know, couple uh, very soon thereafter. And um, that was a, a, you talk about tearing it down to the, to the foundation and rebuilding it. That's what was happening in Los Angeles. So we'll get in with, uh, with Roman Vopat. Real interesting, DB, just to give you a little background on the trade and, and what was going on in my life at the time. So the Kings made a road trip through uh, Vancouver. Uh, I'm sorry, sorry, not Vancouver. Calgary, Edmonton, and Winnipeg. Right. Those were the final three games. I was on that road trip. Those were the final three games that Gretzky would play. Now, we mm-hmm. didn't know that at the time, but that's what ended up happening. Right. So I remember being in Edmonton after the game, and it was my first experience of, of Wayne back in Edmonton, which is a really big deal. Crazy, right. And everybody just wanting at him and wanting a minute of his time and autographs and everything. It was insane. We leave Edmonton. We get to Winnipeg. And this was the original Winnipeg Jets mm-hmm. playing in the old barn, which was crazy. I've told the story many times about how Keith Kachuk's pants were sold at the charity auction for $75, which is bananas because, you, you know, just you think about that. Um, people are outside smoking cigarettes and eating ice cream in the parking lot when it was like minus 20 outside. It was, it was insane. <laughs> but I remember going to the, the, the morning skate uh, at, at the Winnipeg Arena that day. Right. And 
just the barrage of media. Mm -hmm. I had never seen that before, surrounding the Kings at least. The barrage of media people that were trying to get to Wayne and even in Yari Curry and McSorley and all these people were just inundated with questions about Wayne. Um, I'm not, probably not McSorley, but Curry for sure, I remember, because he was talking with the one reporter forever in, in Finnish. But um, so basically, the game happens in Winnipeg. You fly home to Los Angeles. I wasn't on the same plane because I wasn't flying with the team, but the planes land back in LA and basically Gretzky was traded and yeah. that was it. And so in hindsight, what a, what a wonderful special trip to be able to sure. say that I saw Gretzky's last game in a Kings Jersey because right. that was the game in Winnipeg. So um, for those, again, shameless plug, go to mayorsmanner.com. I have right. uh, my own personal pictures from my own private library um, that I did an article many, many years ago about that trip. It was a great time. But DB, let's get into uh, jersey numerology here yes, for number twelve because I I won't I don't want to say cursed, but number twelve has long been to me a very interesting number in LA mm -hmm. Kings history because there really hasn't been a player of much significance for an extended period of time Agreed. that has ever worn a number twelve, mm -hmm. and uh, usually those low numbers they end up sticking with somebody, right, right. and for a team that's been around for fifty plus years. I mean, I'm going to read you a list of just some of the names. There have been so many players that have worn it, but nobody really of any significance that stuck around for a long period of time. Um, so you, you had guys like, uh, let's take a look here at the list. Um, Jimmy Peters in 1972. I don't know if anybody uh, uh, you know remembers who that is. Uh, Hartland Monahan in 1978. <laughs> Dean Hopkins. Um, so many of these guys had just a small cup of coffee. Sylvain Couturier in 1989 to 1992. Do you know Sylvain Couturier? That's uh, Sean Couturier's dad. dad right? Sean Couturier, of course, is now in the NHL playing. Uh, he's a great player, phenomenal player for the Philadelphia Flyers. Jimmy Carson did wear the number from 93 to 94. Kevin Todd wore the number 94 to 96. Uh, the aforementioned Roman Vopot, who will join us today, uh, he wore it from 97 to 98. Ole Jokinen wore the number very briefly in 99. Uh, Marco Tumaninen. Uh, wore it 2000 to 2001. I'll get back to him in a second. And uh, Ken Belanger wore it for a brief period, 02 to 03. Essa Perns, uh, Patrick O'Sullivan. Uh, we've mentioned his favorite. On the show recently. Uh, Randy Jones. <laughs> remember Randy Jones? Got the Kings yeah, trade for Randy Jones. Got yeah. him in here for a while. He was in 2010. I actually remember seeing somebody wear a Randy Jones Kings jersey one <laughs> night um, a couple years after he left, and I and I thought. That had to be a jersey he bought at one of the equipment sales after. Because nobody actually this paid to get a Randy Jones jersey. This is the last minute of play in the period. Um, Lok wore the jersey in 2011. The number, Simone Gagne wore the number in 12 and 13. And then, of course, Marion Gabrick yeah, right. wore it most recently in uh, 2014 to 18. But it just isn't one of those numbers that when you think about greatness in L.A. Kings history, number 12 is not one of those numbers. Um I guess you would say Gabrick. Gabrick, probably. Yeah. Um, back to Marco there, uh, just just yeah. for a quick second, though. Uh, Tuminen, Tuminen, Tuminen. Marco, um, interesting, he played uh, at Dave Taylor's alma mater, which was Clarkson. He played there. He was teammates with Craig Conroy when he was at Clarkson. And back in Finland, in Helsinki, he was teammates with Ole Jokinen and Yuri Karolati. So there were wow. some Kings connections there for you. That comes to us courtesy of uh, the Kingstorian. You can follow King him on Twitter. Exactly. I really appreciate his input. But uh, DB, let's not waste any more time. Let's get to the second period and let's get uh, Roman Volpot in here and talk about his part of the Wayne Gretzky trade. We'll be back in a minute. The season's upon us. It's that time of year. Brandy and eggnog, there's plenty of cheer. There's lights on the trees and there's wreaths to be hung. 
Welcome back to the second period, Kings of the Podcast. And as we get ready to uh, tee up the St. Louis Blues and the LA Kings, when you think Blues Kings, at least for me, you think about the big trade that happened back in 1996. Wayne Gretzky, some guy, uh, going the other way. But coming to Los Angeles, Craig Johnson, Patrice Tardif, Roman Volpot, and two draft picks. Uh, we previously were joined by Craig Johnson. And now, welcome to the show, Roman Volpot. Roman, welcome to Kings of the Podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. How many times over the last 20-plus years have people <laughs> wanted to talk about February of 96 and the, uh, the Gretzky trade? Or is it the Roman Volpot trade? What should we call it? <laughs> well... Yeah, uh, I've heard that story a million times, and I keep telling the same story again a million times. Uh, <laughs> honestly, uh, I want to be honest with you guys. I, I think that trade, uh, it was a bad trade for uh, the Los Angeles organization, and for me, quite frankly, it kind of ruined my career. Um, you know, people expected uh, uh Great things happen from the trade, and you know, and you know, for me, Patrice and Craig, and unfortunately, I just didn't deliver. I wasn't never really uh, top player. I was a fourth line player on a good day, maybe third, but mostly fourth. And I think the expectations that uh, the organization and the fans had for you know for the trade just I just couldn't fulfill it. Mm-hmm. Is it something that, how long did it take you to sort of come to that realization or to, do you have closure to that at this point or, or maybe you're still really frustrated by it even all these years later? No, no, I have closure. I, I realized, you know, it's just, you know, it's just uh, something I got to deal with and, you know, I just wasn't able to deliver and that's part of the, part of the, uh, part of the sport. Sometimes you're good, sometimes you're not and, I realized, you know, I worked my bag off to uh, make the uh, San Luis organization. And I just fortunately, I just wasn't the right fit for, uh, for the Kings. Mm-hmm. It, Craig Johnson talked about it, that it, when the trade happened, that for him, it, you know, although there were some rumors and sort of a little bit of talk in the days or the week leading up to it, but that when it finally did happen, it was like, okay, pack up your apartment and hurry up and get to Los Angeles because you have a game to play the next day. And it all sort of was, was kind of rushed, rush. Uh, when you think back, what was the experience like for you what had you been hearing coming into the trade and then what were your maybe immediate thoughts as you were on a plane and, and heading to join the kings well i was a junior back then i was uh, uh that's right when i got sent down from san louis i got sent down to moose child where i uh, began my junior career and uh with curtis brown and Rand smith we got traded from moose child to pa so i was at the p i was i was in pa at the time and uh i i recall that quite frankly like it was happening last night. Uh, Sam McMaster called me, and I thought it was a joke that Curtis Brown was playing on me, and so I hung up on him. <laughs> and so five minutes later, I got the phone call again, and it was a Sam McMaster again. He says, uh, yeah, Roman, you just hung up on me. And I go, oh, my God. <laughs> so I thought, you know, <laughs> I go, and I knew right away. I said, oh, I probably got traded or something. And, you know, once you mentioned that I got traded for Wayne Gretzky, I thought it was, it was a joke, but, you know, I never really thought, you know, I could be part of, you know, the pieces, part of the trade for the greatest player of all time. And, you know, it just wasn't really, you know, surreal. And I thought, you know, well, I guess, you know, I'm going to go to camp and prove that you know, L.A. made the right right choice, right move. And, and uh, that's what was my concentration on in the offseason. 
And if I remember correctly, uh, we're big into the jersey number stuff here at Kings of the Podcast. And if I remember correctly, you eventually landed on number 12 in Los Angeles. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Was there a specific reason that you, you ended up with 12 or was it just something that was assigned to you? No, I think that, uh, uh, you know, that jersey was available and I, I'm not really, you know, keen on jerseys so numbers. I don't really, I don't really care. I'm not superstitious. So, uh, you know, it was available and I, I took it, you know, really, I, I would wear whatever number they would want me to wear as long as I'm on a team. So, uh, I was just happy to even be assigned a jersey and just uh, had a moment or have a chance to uh, become uh, a part of something special. Yeah. I, I want to talk about your brother coming to Los Angeles here in, in just a few minutes, but you, you did play for the uh, for the Kings and you, and you had some games there at the Forum. Just any memories at all from, from playing at the Forum and, and just kind of what that experience was like? It, it was, you know, you, I, I, I recall it was a great memories. I played with, you know, Hall of Famers like Play with Rob Blake and and Luke Robitaille and you know the uh, LA Kings greatest and and but I was I was young I was young playing in LA and quite honestly I was stupid I took it for granted you know I I did some things that uh, more off ice than on ice and you know that affects the way uh, uh, my approach to the game and I wish I would have the brain I have now back then. And I would take a totally different approach to my off season and, and just uh, the game period. Yeah. There are so many connections to the uh, Philadelphia Flyers organization and the LA Kings organization, you know, mo- more recently or in recent times with some of the trades they've made. But I mean, the, the, it goes all the way back to the very origins of the franchise game one being against the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, you had a 48 game run there uh, near the end of your NHL career uh, that one season, 98, uh, 99 with the Flyers. Just, can you talk at all about playing in Philadelphia and maybe what you remember about your time there? Was it, was it any any more memorable or any more special for you because uh, it was a, you know a couple years later in, you know in your maturity as a player? Yeah, well, it happened. Uh, you know that one one year in LA, uh, kind of my me and my agent sat down and you know said you know what it's not working in here. Uh, why don't we uh, you know talk to the uh, general manager? I think it was Dave Taylor back then, and maybe request a trade. I said, oh well, sure. Um, so that being said, I got traded to uh, Colorado, uh, where I never played a game. Um, I, I got actually had a very bad memories of, uh, uh, the coach there. I think it was Bob Hartley, uh, who skated me every single day for at least an hour every day without even giving me a chance or reasoning why I wasn't included in the, in, in the lineup. And, uh, who was good to me back then was John Clem and, uh, uh, Brian Trottier, who was an assistant coach back then. So, uh, you know, one day you're just going to go for a pregame skate or whatever, and uh, I just got the tap on the shoulder. It's just I got traded again. Uh, got traded to Chicago without even playing a game. So I was on my flight to Chicago, and then, uh, you know, meeting with the coaching staff. I think it was a third Graham and uh, uh, Danny Savard back then. So played three games in uh, – uh, in three you now or four nights or five nights. And then, you know, uh, Dirk Graham says, you know, once we get back to Chicago, you know, I you could find a place to live. So I was really excited, you know, but unfortunately, the same thing happened again. Went for a pregame skate, actually going to play Nashville uh, against my brother who was in Nashville back then. And uh, got traded again. They got traded to Philly. Uh, quite honestly, I was thinking about quitting hockey back then. So, um, my mental state of my uh, 
love for the game was gone. 100%. I did not feel like playing the game. I did not feel like going uh, going to Flyers, even though Flyers were my favorite team growing up. Uh, really? Didn't really feel like going. Yeah, didn't really feel like going. Uh, but after talking with uh, Bob Clark on the phone, uh, he assured me that uh, I'm going to join the team in Pittsburgh, play the game right away. And uh, that gave me hope. And, uh, yeah, so I – and, again, I was on a plane, got to Pittsburgh, played the game right away. And that, that, that's a history with the Flyers. And I played the 48 games the rest of the season and under Roger Nielsen. And uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, was gonna, I enjoyed it quite a bit, actually. I was going to mention Roger Nielsen when you were talking about sort of what your mental state was. I mean, he was a coach that was so admired by so many players. Uh, it, it sounds like you enjoyed your time under him there for the balance of the season. He was a, you know, he was a veteran coach. He, uh, he knew what to say. Plus, we had uh, Wayne Cashman as the assistant coach, so it was an older, they were an older group. But uh, you know, with Flyers who had such a great leaders and and uh, Eric Lindros, John Claire, Eric Desjardins, Rod Rindamore, Ron Hextel, you just name it. like those are all should be all Hall of Famers. But uh, just uh, the dressing room calmness and the Eric Lindros took care of me. Like, he was unbelievable to me. Like, hey, man, Keith Jones. I got to actually say, Keith Jones was, like, he took me under his wing. Uh, we stayed together in a hotel for a while. He, he was unbelievable. He actually um, helped me tremendously. My my mental state went, uh, improved a thousand percent. And not saying my game did, but uh, definitely I was looking forward to each day, each practice, each game. Just I just love the game again. Back to your brother, um, him him coming to Los Angeles. Just what what did that mean to you uh, to to have your brother to, to be around? It was it was awesome. If you know you don't you know it, uh, you don't really have a chance to play. I never had a chance to play with him in Czech or anywhere else, and have a chance to play with them in one team in the National Hockey League is uh, a dream come true. Um, he was better. He was he was actually a very good player. He played for the national team. Yeah, I thought he was a good defenseman. Uh, he's more of a softer guy than uh, me. I prefer the rougher style of game. But uh, just playing with him, just having him there. He was three years he's three years older than me, so just having him in LA with me it was uh, definitely helpful. Definitely. Was it something that you guys had ever even talked about? Because the odds are just the odds are so against you as an individual player to make it to the NHL, but then to have your brother make it to the NHL, you know, that is more odds. And then for you two to end up on the same team, I mean, is it something you guys ever even talked about and daydreamed about, or you just never even thought that it would be possible? Really, never. Yeah, you yeah. Know, especially when we come, we came from uh, you know a communist town in a very small uh, town in Czech. Uh, that produced a lot of NHL players, but uh, he he made the NHL on pure talent and skill. I made the NHL based on my hard work, and so I didn't really thought, you know, I had a dream to make the NHL, but did I really thought about I am going to make it? No, I'm not really. But when I went to junior and I played my first year in Moose Jaw, and I met Ron Caron in uh, San Luis before, uh, in uh, Moose Jaw before a draft, after the draft, it gave me a chance that one day I might really play in the NHL and end up on the same team with my brother. Wow, I never really even uh, dream of it, but uh, it happened and it was uh, it was unbelievable experience. Yeah, 
and Jan, uh, your brother, obviously, for those that are listening, though. But um, Jan is a, is a scout with the St. Louis Blues, so I'm going to test your loyalty here. What was more satisfying for you? Did you like seeing the Kings win the Cup in 2012 or when the Blues won the Cup last year? Quite honestly, I wish the Flyers were in the Cup, but I was very happy. <laughs> I, uh, I, I was very happy for the L.A. I thought L.A. Uh, were the type of team that uh, would suit me back then. Um, under Daryl, uh, he preferred, uh, preferred a fast physical game and, uh, they dominate the NHL for two years. So I was happy for them. And yet I was extremely happy for my brother, uh, finally and for San Luis, you know, after so many years of trying and, uh, you know, uh, doing the hard work, but never had the luck in the playoffs. They finally built a team that, uh, uh, beat everybody, and they did pretty much the same formula as uh, LA did. Mm-hmm. They were uh, not the fastest team, but they were definitely the most physical team. And they had uh, goaltenders that uh, uh, had ample of a breakout year. So, and shows you what you need. You need a goaltender. You need uh, a little bit of everything. You need skill. You need a good greediness. You need um, you need anything. Plus, you need a good luck. So, uh, San Luis put that together, and they won. Well, Roman, we certainly appreciate your time here today. I have a couple more before we uh, let you run. Uh, for people that haven't followed your career, uh, over the last five years, you had spent some time doing some coaching in the WHL. For Kings fans, specific here to Los Angeles, uh, two guys that have been in the WHL would be Kale Clegg and Jared Anderson Dolan. Um, any, any thoughts at all about uh, Kale Clegg and, and what you saw from him at all? Oh, I remember him exactly. He was in Brandon. He's one of the best defensemen in the league. Uh, very good skater, smart. His hockey IQ is off the charts. Uh, uh, first pass player. Like, he made the first outlet pass. Like, none of the defensemen in, in Brandon. Uh, very mobile. Uh, I liked him. I liked him very much. And so was Dolan. When he played in Spokane, I thought that kid is a tank. He's a tank with uh, very good hands. He reminded me of a uh, little John LeClaire, but um, uh, I like both of them. I uh, enjoy watching them, and I enjoy coaching against them. So the last question here then would be, uh, as we look ahead to the 2020 draft, is there anybody uh, in the WHL this year? It's supposed to be a big OHL draft year after last year was a big uh, draft year for the Americans, uh, the, the National Development Program. But in the WHL, who should people be uh, paying attention to? Can you give us a, a tip on one player that you really like? Quite honestly, I haven't watched any of the Western Hockey League, and I don't even follow it anymore. Um, I'm too busy with my own kids. Uh, who's, uh, they're playing Bantam here in Cranbrook. But um, honestly, I can't tell you. I, because, uh, like I said, since I uh, stopped uh, last, when I got fired last year from the Kootenai Ice, I really I stopped, uh, stopped uh, following the Western Hockey League. Well, Roman, that's a bummer because you were one of my go-tos for the draft last year. So I guess I can't start texting you again in June <laughs> to get some hot tips. But uh, that's okay, man. I got nothing for you. <laughs> well, you have a couple of months to prepare if uh, if you so okay. are so inclined. But uh, best of luck with your kids and, uh, and and the future. And thanks for stopping by today and previewing the Kings and the Blues and uh, really opening up and sharing some great stories with us about your time in, in L.A. and Philadelphia. And uh, we appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you down the road. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, John. Thanks, Rob.
welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. Third period, DB. How about that with that uh, was Roman Volpe? Interesting, John. <laughs> He's he has some he had some hot takes. Let's yeah, call him that. He was had some pointed hot takes. <laughs> I like the honesty though. I really oh, I, yeah. I, I like the honesty. You, mm-hmm. you don't you're not confused about where this guy stand, stood. No, for sure. <laughs> and so sad actually to hear him say that you know he was just like ready to pack it in. Like he yeah. was just he just was frustrated with the game. Yep. And you work so hard to get to that point, and then just to become get to this so, level, and then to be so to disillusioned, and, and just you know, yeah, uh, what a, what a terrible thing. And yeah. and I, I we didn't ask, but I mean, I wonder if at some point it's also kind of frustrating to see his brother going on to have success, right. as you know, being a scout and and, mm-hmm. and you know, winning the Stanley Cup and that sure. sort of stuff. Um, so yeah. very very, very interesting. personal, very introspective for sure. You know, again though, it speaks to the power of Twitter. You know how we connected. Yeah. A couple years ago, connected on Twitter. Oh, really? Yeah, so wow. he and I would exchange messages and whatnot and um, waited for the right moment to bring him on, and, yeah. and uh, this was it. Maybe so, it wasn't. No, I'm just kidding. Wow, come on, DB. That was great. I love <laughs> it. Uh, before we wrap today's show up and mm-hmm. talk about the Blues and the Kings playing at Staples Center, right? Um, there was an interesting tweet the other day showing teammates and the most games played by two players playing together. Uh, the the The... Teammates that have played the most games together um, actually played for the Red Wings, uh, 1,353, second place. Uh, the Sedin brothers, actually, yeah. at 1,276. No surprise there. Uh, 1,107, Chris Draper and Nicholas That's Lidstrom. That's an interesting one. You wouldn't put Draper and Lidstrom together. I wouldn't, have, not for right. 1,100 games, right. no. Um, now, you, uh, counting, adding to their count, I should say, uh, Duncan Keith and Seabrook, slowly adding to their count of late. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're at 1,069 games. And then you have uh, Bob Ganey and Larry Robinson. They played 1,058. And uh, then you had George Armstrong and Tim Horton. Yes, he he was a hockey player prior to being a coffee connoisseur. Uh, 1,026. And, you know, a a duo that's going to pass them, DB. Yep. Dustin Brown and Andre Kopitar. Is it one, two, three, four, five, six, seven? They sit seventh on this list all time with 1,015 games. And before the season is over, they're going to, well, in the next couple of weeks, they're going to pass the Tim Horton duo. Right. And then on their sites after that would be Bob Ganey and Larry Robinson, 1,058. That's what, it's about uh, uh, 40-something games more. And I guess they'll be, uh, along with Seabrook and, and Keith, they'll be closing They in. could get to second. They could. I was trying to figure this out. I don't think they're going to be able to get to the first. They'd have to have another 300, which would be what? 330 games more. So, yeah, I don't, oh, think, yeah. They, I don't think they would be able to do that. Yeah. Um, well, Nicole Brown doesn't think that they're going to be able to do that. <laughs> but, uh, but still, I mean, to finish <laughs> top three, DB, yeah. just like I had never put it in, never thought of it in those in terms context, before. Yeah, right. in that context. You're telling me that Dustin Brown and Andre Kopitar will finish in the, hell, the top five even. Yeah. The top five most games played together by teammates in the history yeah. of the NHL? Yeah. That's phenomenal. That's stunning. St- right. It's stunning. Honey, the history of the NHL. Yeah. 100, Over a hundred years, yeah. all these teams, all the, you know, those just, guys would be in the top three. Top. Yeah. Top three. Yeah. Wow. Phenomenal. Yep. And so when you talk about why are they on the same line together? I mean, there's just a comfort factor that exists yeah. between those, between those two players. That's great. Um, I'm not sure how long Keith and Seabrook are going to be together. No. There, there seems to be some, some talk in Chicago. Well, Keith, Seabrook's a, been a healthy scratch here. And he's yeah. just, you know, certainly he's, he's not, the player he once was, and but that contract. None of us are right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, but that contract is an anchor. There's no way you can move it. That's a that's a pre lockout contract, John. So it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens with them. Um, but yeah, he's not a regular anymore. To be honest with you, now the team isn't that good either. I mean, if they were a better team, maybe they could carry him. But 
it just goes again, John, that, you know, the league that it was seven or eight years ago is not the same one as right now. Mm-hmm. And guys like Seabrook that, you know, you know, physical, good guy, but not the best skater in the world. Again, it goes back to skating and skill. And, uh, yeah, it's just a matter of, you know, are his days done? Again, I don't know how you get around that contract that you can't buy it out. That would be really, really prohibitive. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's just a very, very different league these days, John. By the way, sitting on the current list right behind uh, Brown and Kopitar would be Kevin Lowe and Mark Messier. They were together for a long time in Edmonton. Um, Nicholas Lidstrom and, and Tomas Holstrom in Detroit. Uh, you go down a little bit more, though. Joe Thornton and uh, Vlasic have played together for 946 games. Yep. There's been some talk that maybe they would might like to move Vlasic or that he could be yeah. moved. That would be interesting because, unfortunately, it would come right before they hit the 1,000-game mark yeah. because they're at 946 right now. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be able to get 50 games in before the trade deadline. Um, Joe Thornton also has played uh, 931 games with Patrick Marlowe, and then Seabrook and Kane have played together for 917 games. So there are some still some active players behind uh, the, the Chicago duo we mentioned and behind Brown and Kopitar, but... Um, wow. I, I, none of those are, by the way, going to catch Brown and Kopitar no. to end up in the top three. So with the way that this list is constructed with the top 20 teammates of all time, uh, nobody is going to be close to catching Brown and Kopitar anytime soon. No, agreed. And it's just a testament to those two players in the organization that's willing to, to ride along with t- players over, long term, uh, over the long term. All right. So, DB, let's uh, wrap things up today by looking ahead to the St. Louis Blues. They're going to be in town, the Stanley Cup champions. Everybody knows sort of the story. They were left for dead at the beginning uh, of of 2019 calendar year. But from January 2nd on, they were one of the hottest teams. They went on a roll. They uh, went on to win the Stanley Cup. And they're coming into Los Angeles. It's tough enough coming home off a long road trip, the first game coming home. Now you got to face this team who's physical, right, and playing well and – in first place in the division, a real, not a measuring stick, John, because, you know, a measuring stick to me is being, if a team's going to contend and you play the champs, like what if that auger for the last, you know, 40 some odd games, that's not the case here, but it's going to be a significant test, right? I mean, it's just like the wrong team to come off a road trip. But look, they had a great road trip. They really did for what they are and what they are right now. Great road trip, but they're going to be severely tested. They're going to, like I said, it's going to be a physical aspect of the game. And, uh, but it's, it's finally nice to get home. But they only get home from one game, John. Mm-hmm. They, you know, the Christmas break, and then they got to go back out to, I think, uh, at San Jose and Vancouver uh, at the end of the week. But uh, a real stern test here. I mean, probably a, a tougher test than the Boston game was, to be honest with you, because I think just St. Louis is playing better right now, and they're a much more physical team, I think, at this point than, uh, than Boston is. But the Kings also went into that Boston game with, I think, a little bit more momentum. And for, did, whatever, yeah. for whatever reason, when you come home from a road trip, whatever momentum you've built, it's like starting at zero. Again. Yeah, I agree. So they don't have momentum. You're home, you unpack, you're right. with your kids, and right. your family, you're right. chilling out, and, and you have to reinvigorate yourself. Yes. Right? I mean, that, that's the momentum. You're, you're on a high, but now you're back home. You had a couple of days... Um, actually, they only have one day off, so that's maybe a, a little bit bonus for them that they don't have a couple of days off. Right. And, then, and then you're also looking towards the holidays. Plus, you come home. If you're on the road for 16, especially this time of year, John, <laughs> now you got to take care of Christmas and the gifts and all this other Your stuff. Your wife doesn't want to hear about the St. Louis Blues. No. Your wife wants to know when you're going to start together. wrapping some presents. Exactly. Let's, let's so get the, this going. So the distraction, <laughs> I mean, maybe they should have moved this game to St. Louis for one more road game and then come back home. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's going to be a challenge on, on a couple different levels for this team. But it'll be entertaining and look john i've said this you know during throughout the road trip they're not going to be overmatched though mm-hmm. it's just not going to be a dominant game by st louis they, they don't have that type of offense that dominates teams maybe physically they dominate teams but I, I, 
they're going to be in it, and if they can get a little bit more depth scoring, the Kings, I think it should be entertaining for the fans, a nice little uh, pre-holiday gift for everyone. Well, two things to watch for as well. Ryan O'Reilly, if you uh, if you are an, uh, a consistent reader, uh, let's call it that, of Mayor's Manor, you know back during the draft preview when we uh, did that uh, here back in June, we told you that the Kings did everything they could. They offered just about every one yeah. of their picks that draft year to get in a package they were trying to get mm-hmm. to draft Ryan O'Reilly. Wow. So I think you watch that player now with sort of a different lens, knowing that the only player, the only pick that they would not trade was the Kyle Clifford pick. They knew they were picking Clifford, but every okay. other pick was in play. That's how bad they wanted Ryan O'Reilly. They believed that he would have been a great he guy to add to L.A. at that time. Behind Kopitar, and that would have been nice. For yeah. Sure. Um, and then the second thing maybe to look for also is Kale Clegg. This could be his NHL yes. home debut. He made his NHL debut in Buffalo, but uh, – for fans that have been clamoring to see him play with the big club, here you go. Kale Clegg could be in the lineup. And he could look, he was a minus two, but he quitted himself very well in the first game. And I think it's just his time. I think that you got to keep going with him. Obviously, there's a level of trust already. He played almost 18 minutes, mm-hmm. right, against Buffalo. So I think Todd obviously has talked to spot starters about him. You know, he mentions they have coffee every three days. <laughs> three days, John. You asked him about that, right? <laughs> exactly. So I just think that I would keep going with this guy. I mean, he had a nice debut. Just give him a little bit more positive, re, you know, reinforcement and have him play back-to-back games. You have see to. What, right? You have see to. You can't, like you, can't, you can't sit him. You have to, you have to let give him Give him a game. stretch of games. Yeah. Like, and he'll get red. I would give him the whole week, John. He's going to get days off with respect to the holiday and then play him on the back end on those two weekend games on the road. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm, it's it, t- The time has come, John. I mean, the, the transition is starting, um, and, and here's a good time and good opportunity for this against good teams, right? They play Saint, he played Buffalo. They're, you know, look, they're, they're a contending team. Uh, St. Louis is going to be a tough team, but Vancouver and St. Louis, uh, San Jose on the road, back-to-back, let me see what this kid can do there. Well, San Jose, I wouldn't exactly call them a, a tough team right now. They're, they're going but through a tough time. But you're going on the road. You're but, playing back-to-back. Yeah, and not only that, but Kings, now. Sharks is like Kings, Ducks. It's a big game regardless of what the standings yeah. say because of the And he's going to have history. to defend Joe Thornton and Evander Kane and Logan Couture. So while the defense isn't great, his job to stop those players up front, I think is a really nice challenge. And Vancouver's got a lot of talent up front too. So, yeah, let's let's – Give Clegg five or six games consecutive. That's the one thing about Todd. He spots guys a lot. Like with, And we've talked about Luffo. I, You and I agree. He should be in there the whole time. I'd like to see less spotting. Yes. Maybe there's too many players. They're going to spot guys. But with respect to the defense, it, it's not going to hurt you if you set out Joaquin Ryan for three games. It no. It really isn't. Or even Ben Hunton. I mean, so I would like to see less spotting for the younger kids and just let them go and let them run. Because, yeah, they've been playing better. And I know some fans have fantasies about them playing games of consequence in March. But again, let's patience, big picture. I'd like to see a nice run for, run for Kyle Clegg here for at least uh, three or four or five games. And one of the games that I circle on the calendar every year comes up on New Year's Eve. That's yes. the game against the Flyers. That's These right. two teams have been linked from day one of the organization. They've been linked. I'm going to save that for uh, the next podcast, yes. TV. We'll wrap up this, the St. Louis Blues preview podcast with Roman Vopat. And just uh, tell everybody, happy holidays, Merry Christmas. We appreciate you guys tuning in. We're three for three. Might even have something else for you coming soon. might have soon. something under the tree for you on Christmas Day. Let's talk to you soon,
This week at Macy's, get great deals on fashion and home essentials. Update your wardrobe with 20% off new spring shoes and sneakers and 20 to 50% off fresh looks for him and her. Plus, transform your space with Lux Hotel Collection bedding, now 40% off. And Macy's Star Rewards members can earn on every purchase except gift cards, services, and fees. More at Macy's.com slash Star Rewards. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply.